everybody, Pastor Chris here. Thanks for listening to our Market Street Podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope today's message helps you in your walk with Jesus. For more ways to connect, visit us at marketstreetchurch.org. Well, I am excited to have the opportunity to come and to share. I've been given some instructions that I can't sway too far from one area. I like to move a lot, so um, I'm going to have to, I have a chair here, so if I get a little too wound up, I might have to take a seat for a moment and uh, calm myself back down, but uh, no, I'm just so excited. Revelation over resolution, and if you have been taking notes and keeping notes, I encourage you to do that. I'm a note taker. Uh, I do this because we only retain about 5% of what we hear um, in any given scenario. So um, for me, I like to go over what I've been hearing throughout the weeks. And again, if you are doing a New Year's resolution, great. That's awesome for you. Those don't work for me. Um, I choose a word that I'm going to live by for the year, and I I allow that to just encourage me and inspire me. Uh, But those of you who are doing those New Year's resolutions, you're still uh, getting all the fruits and vegetables before I get to the store to get them. That's fine. Keep getting them. You know, you're at the gym and you're ahead of me and I got to wait to get on the treadmill. I'm glad you're doing it. Keep doing it. I don't mind waiting. Uh, Those of you that are struggling in that, um, you're like, it's too cold. I don't even want to go outside. You know, Um, you got to get back, get back on. Don't give up. Don't, don't quit. But what truly... um, Resolutions just don't always stick like revelations. And as we've been looking at these churches in the book of Revelations, I'm excited to share about uh, the church of Philadelphia. I got all excited and all jacked up, really, because when I think about Philadelphia, you want to know what I think about? When, well, I probably should think about Jesus, but uh, one of the greatest movies of all time Rocky, yeah, yeah, yo, Adrian, yeah, I think about Rocky, and I think about how, yeah, I don't know, it's where my mind goes, you guys are in for it, right? It's where my mind goes, and I think about Rocky, and I think about where he came from, and what he went through, and running up those steps, and I think about the church of Philadelphia, and as I read about this church, there's not a lot to be said about them, but what is said is very powerful, it's very influential. It's very impactful. And I'm going to read through this, and then we're going to go back and break it down. Revelations 3 and verse 7, it says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have a little power and have followed my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not but lie. I will make them come and bow down before your feet and make them know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word, of perseverance, I will always, I also will keep you from the hour of the testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming quickly. Hold firmly to what you have. Hold firmly to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who overcomes 
I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anywhere, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Today, the one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. As we enter into this, I want to break off a few different parts of this. There was a lot that was said there. The Church of Philadelphia is a, is a little church, as I mentioned. It's a small church. Uh, in the first century, this church gathered in the town of uh, Smyrna. The church that gathered there, um, there were some others that gathered in that same area that you've heard about in chapters 2 and chapter 3, as Pastor Chris has been sharing. This church, it's something unique here. This church receives a letter from the Lord Jesus, and in that letter, we see, or we don't see some things that maybe we see in other letters, and I want us to check this out. They receive this letter, and there's no warnings. There's no condemnation. There's no criticisms. No threats, no judgment. This is an example of a good church following Jesus. There are no perfect churches. Because as soon as a church is perfect, when we get there, we mess it all up. That's just the way it goes. There are no perfect churches. But if there may be one that would be close, the church of Philadelphia is being obedient. And we see that by what we see here. No threats, no judgments. This letter is free from all of that. Free from criticism. So here's this sixth church outside of Asia Minor. We find this church that is pleasing to the Lord, that is obedient, that is doing what God has called them to do. Amen. Amen. The little bit that we do know about this church is that agriculture was big there. They had a lot of volcanic ash that fell, and that for them was a good thing, and it allowed fertile soil so they could grow lots of great uh, produce and that. Um, again, as I said, as I was digging into this, I love to dig and to research, and I was like, man, I can't find a whole lot out about these guys. I read about them in another book a little bit, but as I dug and read, I see that oftentimes the things that hit me the hardest or the things that are most impactful are the ones that I don't truly need to know all the details. What I need to know is right in these verses and what God says. And that was something that God showed me this week. I don't need to know all the background and all of why and the how. But what I need to know is I need to understand who He is and how to be obedient in that and how to step into that. This church, the Church of Philadelphia, they stood strong. <clears throat> they stood strong until... Um, the 14th century when the Muslims came in and took over. They were there and living out uh, the Lord and then it began to be taken over. I want us to shift our attention back to verse 7. And we are going to just take a look 
at fourfold description of Christ. Because I feel like in order to understand these verses and in order for us as Market Street Church to become more like the church of Philadelphia, we have to understand four, these, this fourfold description of Christ that we see in verse 7. I believe that this was the key. This was what, as I was focused, so focused on the history and trying to figure out where these guys had come from, I missed the mark. And I don't know if any of you are like that. Sometimes I get so caught up in the phone where things come from that I missed the mark. I missed what was right in front of me for several days as I was studying. And I came back to this verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He who is holy. Holy. He's the holy one. This is a distinctive attribute of God. We don't hear this about anyone else. Only time I mention holy is when I see Jack walk out of his room when he's getting ready to go to school. And I'm like, your jeans are holy, dude. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, oh, dad, stop. And I'm like, oh, I must be getting older. <laughs> holy. Or when we go and we put on a sock and we go, oh, man, it's holy. It's time to get some new socks. But here, he's the Holy One. He is above all else. There is no other comparison to Him. This church of Philadelphia, they recognize this. They recognize His holiness, His power. They fear Him, not in a way of fear and I'm going to hide in the corner, but in a way of fear and reverence and respect for who He is and what it is that He is going to do in their lives. He's set apart. He is perfect. He is pure. He is holy. Holy. Holy is Jesus. We're going to look. We're going to continue on in verse 7. He who is holy, who is true, true, now, this word in today's society does not mean a lot. True doesn't mean a lot. When we hear people say, I'm truthful, I'm telling you the truth. Why do we have to say that in conversation? Why do we have to say, I'm not lying to you, I'm telling you the truth. Why can't our words be our words? He's true. What he said yesterday is the same. What he says today is the same. What he says about tomorrow, it's never changing. His word is true. Depending upon our situation, it might impact us differently, but it is true. The word of God is true. The church of Philadelphia recognizes this, that his word is true. They're obedient to it. They understand this fourfold description. True. True. He cannot lie. He's like a toddler. <laughs> you want to know what people think about you? Ask a toddler. <laughs> they will tell you. Yeah, amen. Yeah, they will tell you. They are not going to lie. They, will add, they, will, they, they say some things and it, and it blows me away. 
Uh, I, had, I had a wonderful little conversation with Wesley this morning. He let me know that he made it to the dollar store and got some dinosaurs. And we had a good little conversation. Um, I didn't dare ask him how I look because I was afraid of what he might say. Uh, but, you know, those kids, those guys, they're true, true to their word. He's true. He keeps his word. God keeps his word. And again, as I was studying this and I was looking at this, I kind of overlooked this, but as I came back to this, this is the thing. In our lives, we are hurt so many times. And in our lives, I've had so many conversations. I've seen so many people ask me, why would God hurt me? It's not God. It's the devil. The devil will come after you. We've heard about it. He will get in the mix. He will pull you away. He will tell you that Jesus doesn't want you to have, that he doesn't want the best for your life. You go through things. I, I've been talking to a gentleman over Facebook. I've never even met him, but we've connected over sports cards and we've had this conversation. He says, I don't know why God hates me and he's taken everything away from me. And I said, he doesn't. He's a true God. He never lies. He has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life. He does not. He keeps his word. He wants the best for you. One of the biggest struggles that I see, and I don't think that the church of Philadelphia suffers as much, but as I look at these other churches, there's the blame game that takes place. See, the church of Philadelphia, they understand who Christ is, so they lean into that. So when they have these moments that come, these moments of doubt, these moments of trials, these moments of struggle, they remember that that's not true. That's not from God. See, I have moments, I have days that I wake up and I hear, you're not a good preacher. You're not a good pastor. I tell the devil to go to hell, and I say, you know what? Here's the Yeah, here's the deal. I know. Without him, I'm nothing. But because of him, I have everything. I have everything. I have what you don't have. I have the opportunity to live an eternity in heaven that you don't get. God keeps his word. He's fully tr trustworthy at all times, in every single way, in every single moment of our lives. He is there. Here's the fact of the matter. Here's something that we have to grow, grow through as Christ followers. This is something that I see all over right now. People coming or people straying from the church and saying, God didn't allow this to happen. God didn't do this. God didn't do that. God is a God of righteousness and he gives us grace and mercy. Here's the thing, though. Here's the thing, though. You have sin in your life. And if he were just to wipe that clean, how would you respond? For some, for some things in my life, he did. But there were some things that I got myself into that I need to get myself out of with the help of Jesus in order to understand grace, mercy, and his favor. Think about it. We come to a church messed up with situations in our lives and we just expect God to take them away. We just expect the pastor to take them away for us. 
This is why we see these other churches getting into messes that they get in. This is what we see happening today. You see men and women walking away from God. There was a guy by the name of Joshua Harris who wrote a book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. This man has walked away from the Lord. Why? He has struggles. He's forgotten, verse 7, he's forgotten these fourfold descriptions of Christ and what they mean and who they are to us. We all have moments of hurt. We all have moments of trials. If Jesus would have showed me that day I accepted him at an altar, what I would go through in my life, I probably would run the other direction. But he's brought me through it. He's been trustworthy. He's been the rock when I've had nowhere else to go. And when I've hit rock bottom, he's picked me back up. He's shown me that. We're going to go on in verse 7. And it goes on to say, Who has the key of David? Who has the key of David? And I've heard this and I've studied this, but I studied it in more depth. And I thought, well, what does that really have to do with anything? And truly, this is important. This is, this is important to understand. He has the keys and locks and doors, and they're powerful. When you lock a door, you can't go back through it. When he unlocks it, when I unlock it, when Renfro, when he unlocks the doors, we can get in the building. If we don't have a key, we can't get in, and we're out in the cold. This shows he has the key of David. This shows the power that he has. The church of Philadelphia, they recognize this. The power that God has. Jesus holds the key not to Philadelphia. To the house of David. He should hold the key to your heart. See, oftentimes we want to hold on to the keys. We want to control. I'm going to step out just for a second. We want to hold the keys. I look like a janitor here with all these keys that I got. These are all my keys. I feel like I'm in control with all these keys. But the fact of the matter is, should I be controlling my heart or should God? The one who has the key of David. There are areas in our heart where we need to lay down and give over to him. In the church in Philadelphia, they recognized this. These other churches, they missed it. They were holding on to things. They were holding on to keys to their heart. Areas that they didn't want to let go of. One of the things I learned early in ministry is to learn to hold everything with a loose grip. With a loose grip. A loose grip. Because if someone comes and takes it, it wasn't really mine to begin with. God wants these things. He wants us to lay them before him. God told David that he would establish his kingdom. His son would reign on the throne forever. Jesus is that son who takes the seat on the eternal throne. He has the key. This church, he has the key to it. And I believe that here at Market Street Church, because I've had many 
conversation with Pastor Chris, and I know the journey. God has the key to this church. God has the key to this church. I was just talking in a huddle to all of our volunteers that one of the things we never want to do is miss the blessing that God has upon us. God has a blessing upon this church because he has the keys. And as we move and shift and move forward, sometimes there's moments where we want to grab a hold of those keys and hold on and don't let go. We won't. We don't want to let go. It's ours. It's mine. But we have to say, God, it's yours. You are the king. You are the king of David and you have the key of David. You have the keys. You have the keys to this church. God, do with it what you want. It goes on to say in verse 7, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens. Opening and shutting of the door. He is the one who opens and shuts the door. He is the one who opens and shuts the door. We see this as we hear about these churches. God is the one who chooses to open and close doors. When he opens a door, he calls us to step into it. When he shuts a door, it means that he's making another way. It means that he's making another way. Sometime you'll hear it. Some of you don't know the full story of how we came together to be Market Street Church together. But some three years ago before I even moved to the area, there was an opportunity for this to happen, but God shut the door. And I'm thankful for Pastor Chris and his obedience to that closed door. Before I came here, there was a year of transition prior to me coming, and God shut a door for me to do ministry in another church before I was over at Verb. They had called me, they wanted me to come. Some things happened, they said, We need to put this on hold, and I had another opportunity, and I walked through that, and God shut the door. And in that moment, I didn't understand it, but as we come full circle, and I see now, I see why. And we're here in this moment. He shut a door to open another. Another opportunity for me to understand His will, for me to lean into Him, for me to come closer to Him. One of the biggest struggles in our lives is that we grab a hold of these keys Because why? This key has my car key. This is my escape. This is how I get out of here, right? Or I start walking. We always want an escape. The church of Philadelphia, they realized that God was their escape plan. They didn't need to do it on their own. They put the keys out there and they said, here you go. Take it. It's yours. It's yours. We hold on. We grab hold of. He's sovereign over all. He's powerful. He's able to open and shut doors that we have no clue about. Think about it. I want you all to just close your eyes for a moment. And think about a time when God shut a door in your life. Think about that time. 
Now think about the blessing that came out of him closing that door. Because if you would have walked through that door, you would have walked off the edge of a cliff. All because it was what you wanted and not what he wanted. Now give him thanks. In a moment of silence right now, give him thanks for that. Thank you, Jesus. You can open your eyes. Thank you, Jesus, for that opportunity. For closing a door, even though I wanted to go through it, even though you gave me the keys, and I had the right and the ability, but then you closed it. You changed the lock. I couldn't get in. And now I see why. You see, these four marks show Christ's worth of our salvation, of our uh, attention. He's the pure one. He's the right one. He's the key to every door. How could we not listen to him? I want to look at three brief truths for us to implement a revolution in our lives. Because we don't just want resolution. We want a revolution in our lives. The first is this. The word of Jesus is an open door for his humble people. And in the church of Philadelphia, these people chose to be humble, to humble themselves before the Lord. What does he know about this particular church? That they have but little power. It says it in the scriptures. They had little power. But they were humble people. They were humble people. They were obedient in what they did. I believe Market Street Church, for those of you in this room, for those of you that call us family and home that are online, we need to strive to be humble people. Humble before the Lord, giving to Him what is His. It's all His. But giving it over to Him. Relinquishing it over. He brought no insults. He brought no rebuke because they were humble. They had little influence in their culture. They were small in size. They were persecuted by the Jews. I just want you to understand this. We think we're persecuted. We have no idea. We are blessed to be in a building to not be in a hole or in a cave, just grabbing hold of a very small portion of Scripture. I can have it on my phone in my pocket. We are so blessed. In America, we are spoiled, rotten brats. We need to be humbled. I believe that God can use what we've been seeing to humble us. We need to be humbled. Come back to him. Give him the keys to what is rightfully his. In verse 8, it says, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut because you have a little power and have followed my word and have not denied my name. Little power, you followed my word. 
faith the size of a mustard seed. We might be a small church right now. But God wants to do something great with each and every one of us. Little power. Feeling defeated in moments. It can be easy to look around us and see what's around us and go, man, I wish we didn't have that in this city. I wish we didn't have that in this city. I wish we didn't have that in this city. Or we can say, you know what? I'm going to step in to humility. I'm going to be a light. I'm going to be a witness. I'm going to be a revelation. We must follow His Word. Following His Word. See, here's the thing. What we bring to you on Sunday morning isn't enough. If that's the only time you eat, if that was the only time I ate on Sunday morning, you would know it come the next Sunday because I am going to be hangry. Look at this body. I like to eat. Okay? Same goes with the Word of the Lord. We got to be taking off chunks of that, getting into His Word every day. Our goal is to bring you in here, pump you up, and send you out for the week. you got to turn to the word of the Lord through the week to get you there. But so often, we hold, well, I, I didn't, you know, PC spoke about it a few weeks. We start blowing the whistle. Well, the pastor didn't do this, and the pastor didn't do that, and the pastor... Well, what did you do? What didn't you do? you got to pick up the word of the Lord. It just can't be holding up the table and keeping it even. It can't just look good on the shelf. My younger son, Jed, he's like, Dad, I got this one Bible. He's like, Dad, that thing is duct taped and written in and you need to get rid of that thing. I'm like, no, that is like, that is it, man. Like, that's where I go to. That's got tears in it. That's got blood in it. That's got, that's, that's it. That's where I go to. Like, that is like, that's my Bible. That is one of many, but that is the one that I hold on to and I go back to because that is, that is where God has brought me through some tough things in my life. When I lost my mom, when I lost my son, when I lost my dad, he brought me back to his word. That's what took me through the week is his word by following his word and having not denied the name of Jesus. We choose to put Jesus second. He's no longer first. We deny Jesus. I don't want my convictions to become yours at all. I want God to convict you and transform you and revolutionize you. So if you're hearing something this morning and I feel it, I feel it coming back, so there's somebody wrestling Give it to God. When you put things before God, when you choose one thing, you're letting go of something else. When you make one choice in life, you're saying no to something else. What is it in our lives there, there where we've said no to Jesus? Where it's too important, I got to know what's going on on TikTok. I got to know what's going on on Instagram. I got to know what's going on on Facebook. I got to know what's going on on ESPN. I had to shut that darn app off. I love sports and all that, but I had to shut that ESPN app off. I don't need to know every time something happens, every time somebody trips and falls. What about the word of the Lord? 
For me, I like the Bible app, and I have it on here, but I don't use it much because it's a distraction. I have to put this down, and I, I pick up the Word and focus and get into it. It's in those moments. The Church of Philadelphia, they did not deny his name. I never want to hear this church deny his name. I never want to hear you deny his name. The Church of Philadelphia was in a special place. They understood who God was. They were leaning in and in tune to who he was. The second truth that I want you to grab a hold of is that the word of Jesus is a sure foundation for his suffering people. When you are suffering, when you are going through trials in your life, he is a sure foundation. He's the only place that you can go through that's going to get you through every single day. He's the only place. He's the only place. See, suffering shows in our lives when we suffer, it shows who we really are. That's when things come out of us. During this past few years of COVID, we began to see who we were in our own family. When you're, when you're stuck together with your wife and kids, your family, and you can't go anywhere, and you fight over who's going to the mailbox and who's taking the trash out. I mean, seriously. There's a, rock, a lot of rock, paper, says, no, I want to take the trash out. Uh, I think I'm going to drive the trash over to the church so I can get out for a minute. But when you're cooped up together, when you're going through trials, you begin to see who you are, who you really are. You begin to see generational sin if you have kids. Oh boy, that's for another time, that's for another sermon series, but I'm telling you, I see things in my boys that I love and I see things in my boys that I'm like, oh boy. When we suffer with Jesus, we see what kind of Christ follower we are. When we suffer with Jesus, it shows us what kind of Christ follower that we truly are. Without the closed doors of our world, without Jesus closing those doors, we step into things that we shouldn't step into. When we suffer, Jesus is there with us. He is that truth. He never leaves us. We never... We never enter in thinking that we're going to come out worse than when we went into it. The church of Philadelphia understood that when they suffered, they needed to go to Jesus. That they didn't need to grab a hold of. See, when suffering happens in our lives, we cling to, we grab hold of. When we experience trauma, when we experience what we've experienced, we go back to days of old. How do I know this? One year ago, when we were all locked up, you want to know one of the number one canned goods that was selling? Chef Boyardee. That stuff is nasty. I didn't like it when I was eight. People go to a place where they feel safe. God shuts doors and we go to places where we feel safe. And we should be going to Him. Like the Church of Philadelphia. When you suffer, I've been, look, I've been there. 
I've been there. I've suffered. I've hurt. It shows who you are in Christ. When I lost my mom, I had a moment of suffering where I walked away from Jesus. I took a step back because I didn't understand the look that he was giving me like he gave Peter. When Peter denied Jesus three times, Jesus looked him in the eye. I didn't understand that look until God showed it to me. He wasn't giving him a look of discouragement or a look of, I can't believe you betrayed me. He gave him a look of love. And that I understand what you're going through. This church of Philadelphia, they were set up to fail. They were in an area where there was lots of volcanic activity. I mentioned it earlier, and listen to this. I want you to get this. I got this out of this, and I'm like, man, this is a beautiful thing. This was a church that could have chose to say, oh, poor me, or oh, poor us. We got all this volcanic activity. What do we do with this? What they found is that through ashes, something great came out of the ashes. That they were able to be a fertile soil because of the storms in their lives. We suffer. The word of Jesus is a sure foundation for his suffering people. You might feel like you're standing in a pile of ashes today. But know this. Those ashes are going to be what helps spring forth new life, restoration, new fruit that is going to take hold and be deeply rooted and deeply rooted in a way that it's unshakable. God did it for the church of Philadelphia. God has done it for Market Street Church. He's taken the setbacks that you've seen, that we've seen, and he set us up for something that's so much greater than us that we need to be willing to be obedient, to make him our rock, and to step forward to lean into that. The last truth is this. The word of Jesus is a promise for his enduring people. Think of it this way. We're all running a race. That's what life is. I don't know if you've ever been to races or been involved in track and field, but we had an exchange student who he chose to do this, and he said, and I don't mean this in a bad way, he said, Dad, I'm Mexican, I can run fast, so I want to do this. And so he did track and field. And so when I'm out there and I'm cheering him on, when we're cheering somebody on in the race, are you just kind of like sitting back, you know, just like, yeah, go, woohoo, yeah, you know, woo I know some of you saw my video from a few weeks ago in the playoffs for the football. I get a little excited about things. I get a little passionate. And we're running the race. The word of Jesus is a promise for his enduring people. We need to be running that race. We need to be cheering each other on. Like, woo, go, go, go. Let's get there. Let's go, let's go. I'm glad I just woke a couple of you up. That's great. Go, let's go. Let's do this. Run, run, far, farther, faster, harder. I can remember when I did my first 5K. It was the craziest thing. When I was 26, I shredded my ACL. Popped my hip out of socket. Came out of socket. It's kind of like when you're tearing a turkey a leg off of a turkey carcass. That's what it sounded like. I'm, you're, you're welcome. I'm glad that next Thanksgiving you'll remember me for that. 
<laughs> I had to pop my own hip back into socket and get up and walk. Couldn't run. I was down. Had to be carried off. Got the best doctor in the state of Michigan. He used to be a football player. He said, listen here, dude. I said, okay, dude, tell me. What's up? He said, when I get done with you, you're going to be able to run again. I was like, again? I never could run in the first place, so let's do this thing. And I was able to run. And then he told me about this other guy named Arthur. Arthur Wrightus would show up when I was about 40, and it's starting to set in a little bit. But when I ran my first 5K, my family was there. And I was probably about three, 400 yards off from the finish. And I was kind of tired, and I was kind of getting rugged because I chose to do it at this Brown City camp place that we go. And it's so hilly and dippy and wet grass and muddy, and it was not the best first 5K to choose to do. But I did it. And when I was headed toward the finish line, my biggest cheerleaders were there saying, Go, go, run, run. You've got this. You've got this. Let's go. Your biggest cheerleader is here, and that's Jesus. We must endure. We must finish the race. We must press on toward the goal and become like that church of Philadelphia. Be okay with where you're at. Be okay with what God's blessed you with. God has called us to this community for a reason, and if if he hasn't, if he's shutting the door, then let him open a door and you go where you're called to be. God called me to this city. As Pastor Chris and I had conversations about this merger, I said, here's what I know. God's not calling me out of Walled Lake, so I can't go. Well, I can, but then I'm in disobedience. God was there cheering me on, saying, go, go, run, run. Let's get there. Real quick. This next verse, verse 11. I am coming quickly. Hold firmly to what you have so that no one will take your crown. I am coming quickly. He is coming. Do you not think the devil knows that his days are numbered, people? He knows that his days are numbered, that God is coming back. I don't know if it's tomorrow or the next day or a hundred years from now, but the devil knows. The devil wouldn't be fighting so hard if he didn't know his days were numbered. His days are numbered, and he is coming after you, and he is trying to mess with you and get you off track. We must hold firmly to what we have. Hold firmly to the Word of God every day in our lives. Push out the garbage. It's great to stay informed. I stay informed about 45 minutes a week with what's in the news. The rest of it is garbage. I can't take it all in. I can't. Because I don't want to get caught up there. Because I want to hold fast and firm to what it is that God has for me. So that no one can take your crown. Because as you let the world in, it will begin to take your crown. And you know what? The fact of the matter is, that's not even your crown. That's His crown that you're going to lay at His feet. And I don't know about you, but when I get to heaven, I don't want to be in the back row. I want to be as close to the front row as possible. The big idea is this, and this is what I want us to hold on to. Recognizing the power 
of God is the key to obedience, loyalty, and endurance. Recognizing the power of God in our lives is the key to obedience, loyalty, and endurance. Who has the power? Who has the keys? Some of you are going, I do. And you think you're in control. And if you keep living like that, you're going nowhere fast. You got to turn it over with a loose grip and give it to him. We are on the road. We are on the journey. As I read about this church of Philadelphia, I'm so thankful that as I read about that church, that I believe that Marcus Street Church is much like that church. We're not perfect. We're a bunch of messed up people who are coming together to try to figure it out together. Listen, I put my pants on one leg at a time like you do. I step on a Lego, it hurts, it doesn't feel good. I like to say some things that, that are not appropriate. It hurts. You ever stepped on a Lego? If not, go down to the kids' ministry and try it. It's not fun, it hurts. I get emotional about that. It's not fun. But deeper than that, we have areas of our lives. And you can't expect me to change that for you. You can't expect Pastor Chris to change that for you until you lay it. Robert, until you lay it in the palm of your hand, man, right? That's it. You've got to lay it there. You've got to give it to Jesus. And he's not going to completely take it away. He's going to walk you through it one step at a time. One step at a time. Because he's going to use your story. For his own glory. He's going to use the ashes around you to grow up something that's something that's so much bigger. Amen. Give God amen to that. That's right. Amen. He is going to use the hurts and the heartaches to move this church forward. What I've seen, I'm blessed. The things that I have envisioned, the things that we dream about, God's going to blow them away. God is going to use this church to do great and mighty things in this community. And I know that God isn't even going to show it all to me because I would probably run the other way. We have to step in to being obedient, loyal, running the race of endurance, encouraging one another, spurring one another on. Go, keep running, you've got this. The question is today, what are you going to do with this? Where are you at? What is it that you're holding on to? You need to relinquish to him. You need to give over to him. Understand, as verse 7 says, who God is and what it is that he wants to do and where he needs to be. He needs to be priority. He needs to be the king. I have this thorn in my flesh. He keeps me humble with that thorn. For me, it's anxiety. For you, it's something else. He keeps me humble and reminds me that that crown is not mine, that it's his. He reminds me that my ashes are something beautiful and it's growing great fruit in his pasture. Some of you aren't there yet. You're struggling. You're in this room. You're struggling. You're online. You're joining us. You're struggling. You're wrestling. I want to encourage you to open, open up. Open up and give it to him. 
I can, I can feel it. I can sense it. You're holding on. You don't need another New Year's resolution. You need a revolution. You need a change in your life. And the only way to do it is stop trying to take control and let him. What are you going to do with it? Father God, thank you. Thank you for your mercy and your grace and your favor. Thank you for your letter to the church of Philadelphia. Thank you that we can look at this letter and, and see where a church was and look at this letter and apply it to our church and we can apply it to our lives, Father. That we can come to this and see that we need you. We need to keep you our focus and that there are some steps that we can take if we follow this, if we step into obedience and loyalty and endurance. So, Father God, I pray that this morning for those here in this room, for those that are joining us live, for those that are maybe re-watching this midweek, for maybe there's, maybe there's someone that's watching this and it's a year later, Father. They need a revolution in their not lives, not a resolution. Open us up. Help us to give those things over to you. To be obedient. To take the ashes and build something bigger and greater than what was before us. To look in the rearview mirror, to reflect on where we've come from, but keep our focus on the windshield and where it is that you're taking us. Pray all of these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being with us today. You are dismissed. Go out there and live God's love. Amen.